Hi, this is Dr. Serene and I'm with Dr. Jen. We wanted to provide a trigger warning for this episode. We're going to be covering mass shootings, how to cope with the aftermath, uh, how to cope with negative feelings associated with them, and how to talk to our children about them. So if you feel like this episode might negatively trigger you, please check out one of our other episodes and we'll check in with you again next episode. Welcome to Is It Bedtime Yet? The podcast for parents about mental health and the experience of being a parent. The podcast that discusses what it's like to be adults raising tiny humans that make us all ask, is it bedtime yet? Welcome to Is It Bedtime Yet? with Dr. Jen and Dr. Serene. Hey. Hey, Dr. Jen. Hey, Dr. Serene. (laughs) Um, Before we start, Please don't forget that now we are on iHeartRadio. Yay! And if you have a moment, take your time and rate and review us yeah. on whatever platform you listen to us. Yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously, if you're listening now, you have a way of listening to podcasts. So whether it's iTunes, mm-hmm. uh, Google Music Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, uh, the best way that you could help support us is to subscribe, rate, review, and that's how other people will find us. So thank you. <laughs> Anyway, there's been a lot happening recently. Um, Just in the past week, uh, we had two back-to-back mass shootings in this country. Um, So we felt like it was really important to address that. And so we wanted to do an episode where we talk a little bit about mass shootings shootings and ways of coping with it. And, you know, as a podcast addressing parents, we wanted to talk about the best ways to deal with the aftermath of mass shootings as a parent and how to address it with your kids and how to take care of yourself as a parent. Because, I mean, as parents, we all have anxiety. We all have worries about our kids. And then every time one of these things happen, of course it heightens anxiety. Of course it heightens fear. And so we thought this was an important discussion to have. Right. Um, And in the past week or two, we've had three mass shootings, actually, yeah. Um, I know, right? We, yeah, that's we, right. It, it's crazy to think that it's been three. Mm-hmm. Um, in Gilroy, El Paso, and Dayton. Oh my God, how awful that like I already forgot the Gilroy one because we had the two back-to-back last week. Doesn't the Gilroy and that uh, shooting like, feel like it was forever ago? It feels ago like forever ago. Yeah. But it no. freaked me out a lot because it was right near where I went to college. And um, we had always planned on going to the garlic festival and then never made it there. And right. so that felt really close to home to me. And then all of a sudden, these yeah. other two happened. And of course, then those felt really important and scary. And yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot to deal with. Right. And so more than 30 people um, were killed Ugh. in the mass shootings. And well, combined three mm-hmm. of them. Um, and people like to kind of, I mean, to start off before we get into the, you know, how can we take care of ourselves? Let's kind of go into the anatomy of a mass shooting I guess just to get some background info and um there was an open editorial on um in the LA Times that was really good and um I should actually say what it was called um it's called we have studied every mass shooting since 1966 here's what we've learned about the shooters Mm -hmm. so that's the title of the LA Times open editorial that I'm going to kind of talk about a little bit. Uh-huh. Um, so the the author um, talked about four commonalities amongst 
mass shooters that they've been studying since, I guess, the shooting since um, 1966 Mm -hmm. on. And they found that um, most of the shooters have early childhood exposure to trauma, Mm -hmm. which has served as a precursor to mental health issues. Um, they've, most of them have reached an identifiable point in their life where there's a crisis, um, in the past weeks or months prior to the The shooting incident. Yes. Um, and most had studied the actions of previous shooters and the author is, um, I'm going to quote, they called it socially contagious, the mm. shootings, because they, the shooters become inspired by other shooters. And right. especially with social media, and there are so many like groups dedicated to hate and mm-hmm. violence. Um, anyway, which kind of explains why there was three within a week. Right. They probably inspired, one was inspired by the previous one's actions, Absolutely. I guess. I don't know. I could assume. Yeah. Um, and the fourth commonality is that most had, um, no, I'm lying, all of them had a means to carry out the violence. They all right. had access to weapons or um, whatever tools they used, instruments they used to carry out. Right. Right. Which, I mean, as therapists, we had talked about this right before we started recording. Like, when you talk about, like, a means to carry it out, I know as therapists, that's one of the things that we look for when we're assessing for uh, like suicidality or harm to self or even you know homicidality obviously right. is one of the, one of the things we assess for is we look for plan intent and means because means is so important if they're looking to carry something out you want to be able to identify do they have a means do they have a way right. a method that they are going to realistically be able to carry this out right. and so obviously in all of these mass shooting scenarios they had to have a way to access these means otherwise they wouldn't be able to carry it right. out and yeah. we, I mean, we do the same when assessing for homicidality mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Um, when we see clients that come in that say like, oh gosh, I'm so angry. I just want to hurt somebody. And, mm-hmm. you know, we have to ask them, well, what is your plan? Mm-hmm. What is the intent? Is there an identifiable victim? And what means do you have of committing whatever act you are, you know, desiring to commit? Right. And that's how you assess whether or not the person is actually serious about committing right. a crime or they're just you know blowing yeah. fluff because they're upset right so well and kind of going off of that i know there's been like a major debate about like are these instances related to mental illness are they related mm-hmm. to like gun control laws and we're not going to get political here we're not going to talk about that kind of stuff but i think in general the answer is just kind of both that there's a lot of mental illness issues related to this and we'll talk a little bit more about that right um but also that, like you said, like if you don't have access to the means, you can't carry it out. Um, And so there is a 2015 study by Adam Lankford, who's a professor at University of Alabama. And in this article, they talk about that that Americans own 42% of all of the guns in the world. Wow. Um, So there's just obviously a huge, um, uh, there's a huge amount to be able to access here. Um, are that, these wait? Are these like documented owners or like? I don't know. Does it, it include it didn't go illegal? Into that. Okay, that's a, it's a good question though. Yeah, because I'm not sure exactly what that entails. Oh, but it just it just mentioned 42 percent of guns are owned by Americans, and then a quote from uh, the study that I read that said, "A country's rate of gun ownership is correlated with the odds that it would experience a mass shooting, and mass shootings were better explained by a society's access to guns than by its baseline level of violence." So basically, it's not the country's level of violence that is going to determine the 
um, the likelihood of a mass shooting in that country, but rather it's their ability to access guns and carry out the means. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I again, I'm not political in any sense when it comes to gun violence because right. I don't think I like I don't think I understand it enough. Right. Agreed. But if it is a mental health issue, which I'm not I'm I don't think I'm on board with that. Mm-hmm. But if it is, if we think it's a mental health issue, then let's make mental health more accessible. Absolutely. Mental health is such a luxury yeah. and it's so inaccessible. Mm-hmm. It's so difficult for people to obtain um good mental health. And when I say that it's like you know, there's specialists that specialize in different niches. And if you, you're looking for a certain therapist that really specializes in what you really need and your insurance doesn't cover right. um, or they're not, you know, in network with your insurance or the fee is really high for that particular type of therapy, then how are you going to access that kind of mental health treatment? Right. Absolutely. Um, so I, I don't know. If, if it is a mental health issue, right. then let's fix it. It's a very simple fix yes if it's a gun control issue let's fix that whatever it is let's Let's fix fix it it. and while we're at it let's work on both because i think there's elements of both at play here one article that i found said that um 20 to 25 percent of mass shooters suffered from some kind of documented mental illness that required some kind of like previous hospitalization or something that was like concrete and documentable yeah um which 20 to 25 percent is significant but it's not everybody no it's it's the minority. Right. And this specific article said that a lot of them don't have a history of, like, a specific mental health issue, but um, more so, and it's more about, like, a deep sense of injustice regarding something. You know, right. like, I could think of several off the top of my head recently where it's either been about, like, race or it's been about, like, feeling othered by people or feeling um, bullied at school or feeling, like, women well, like yeah. it was like a young man feeling like women didn't like them and wanting to take out revenge in that way right um so more about like the sense of injustice which in a lot of ways stems from mental illness i think that they would then carry that out in a way that results in a mass shooting yeah well that's that's what the so, la times article mm-hmm. one of the four commonalities was in early childhood exposure to trauma and that that included bullying or domestic violence or witnessing domestic violence right. or um i mean because one event doesn't impact one person in a traumatic way like that does it doesn't um affect them a certain way doesn't mean it's not going to affect somebody else right in a different way um you know when people come in because and they're traumatized because they've observed their parents um fighting Mm -hmm. you know uh, they've observed domestic violence they can have serious anxiety, depression, so many issues stemming from that. And then I can see another client where, yeah, they observe their parents and, you know, fighting and hitting each other and they could care less about that. They want to work on something else, like work stressor or something, you know, like they didn't, it, it just didn't have that. They don't have anxiety stemming from it or they don't right. have depression. Because everybody's going to respond differently. To exactly. Different yeah. And I think being sensitive to that, because yes. I hear so many times like, well, I've been through it and it, I'm not going and shooting people or, you know, I was um, bullied as a kid. I'm not doing this. Well, okay, you're different. You know, we're all different. Mm -hmm. So definitely. So, I mean, I think what's hard here is that basically, you know, mental illness, gun laws, whatever, you can target mental illness by uh, changing gun laws and saying, you know, we're not going to let people access guns if they have a history of X, Y, Z. 
But I think the point here is that not everybody's going to have that history of X, Y, Z or that mm-hmm. people might. I mean, another thing to think about, too, is that most most people who carry out these mass shootings are in their late teens and early 20s, mm-hmm. right? Like they're young adults. A lot of yeah. severe mental illness isn't really observable or like able to be really truly diagnosed till like late 20s, mm-hmm. 30s. So another thing to think about, too, is that these people may not have a history of mental health issues, and it might be emerging mental health issues. Right. So it's hard to be able to target that preemptively when you don't even know if they're going to have issues that emerge right. later, right? right? So I think it has to be a combination. Like you said, like if it's mental health, let's work on mental health. If it's gun control laws, let's work on gun control laws. And really, I think the best way to work on it is being proactive in all these areas. Right. 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 And, you know, doctors are calling um, gun violence a public health epidemic now. Yeah. Um, And I mean, according to the American Psychological Association, the APA, um, even people that weren't direct witnesses or directly impacted by the uh, mass shootings can experience um, like negative feelings, like feelings of shock and um, numbness, sadness, anger, and this can impact your sleep, your concentration, mm-hmm. appetite, your just your your day to day functioning. Right. And on top of that, it adds to the feeling of powerlessness because this is something you cannot control. It's right. not something you can be prepared for. You have no power over this. Right. And it's so senseless and it's so random. It can happen anywhere at any time. It's happened at concerts, festivals, uh, just random places mm-hmm. where families just go. And so I think, like you said, it can, it lends to the sense of helplessness yeah. in the sense that it causes a lot of people to be fearful of, of being out. Yeah. Like I've seen so many different like Facebook posts in, in mom groups, for example, where people talk about how they've been impacted by all of these shootings, even if they're not directly involved or they don't yeah. know anybody who's been directly involved. Because as a parent, we experience so much anxiety and worry just in general we're Mm -hmm. raising kids we send them off into the world we hope they're okay we hope they're safe and the less control we have over that the more anxiety we experience and so this is the ultimate level of not having control over our safety when there's these this like it's this epidemic of being out in a place where you think is safe a bar a concert whatever it is and anything can happen anywhere Mm -hmm. Um, actually, there was a couple of incidences um, this week, earlier this week, in New York and in Utah, where there was like loud banging noises, mm. and there was like this mass hysteria. Like people just started running off, I'm pushing sure. each other, pushing children off, you know, onto the oh. floor because they're trying to escape. Um, I think New York it was at Times Square, and it was a motorcycle backfiring, and it sounded like gunshots. Oh so there's videos of it of people just running Panic. and. total panic and then in utah i guess um a sign fell off of somewhere i don't know and it it had a loud banging noise so everybody just you know immediate reaction run oh i'm sure um which is in itself kind of like dangerous because you're just trampling on people at this point so even if we don't think that we're impacted oh like oh that happened in ohio or that happened in In wherever you know like not in my backyard Mm -hmm. um you're clearly still impacted Definitely. because once I mean and, and we I guess there's a heightened sense of anxiety and heightened anxiety yeah. a, heightened, ugh, a heightened anxiety and that's 
maybe that's okay for now because it is something that's unpredictable and we have no control over it. Well, and one thing it makes me think about is I've seen advertisements now for bulletproof backpacks. Oh, no. And that's like a thing that's becoming more and more prevalent is is advertising for bulletproof backpacks. And I know, I mean, I don't have a school-age kid yet, my... My daughter actually, this is uh, this is a good time to talk about it, I guess. I keep saying I have a kid who's almost going to be in school. She just started school this week. Yeah. And so I have this heightened sense of anxiety of like leaving her in a place where I don't have control over what's happening or not knowing what's going to happen. But I, know, but I mean, going back, I know that now schools are doing like active shooter drills. And that's like a very real part of children's lives now that they have to be prepared for this like random senseless act of violence happening at their schools yeah it's it's anxiety provoking it's awful and it's horrible that it's a part of kids realities now growing up so what can we do to talk like how can we talk to our kids about this kind of stuff and what can we do to kind of decrease our anxiety although and this is what i tell a lot of my patients because a lot of people come in with anxiety and sometimes I have to tell them this anxiety is normal. It's, it's almost like I don't want this anxiety right. to like leave you completely yeah. because it's serving a purpose. It's, it's serving a purpose right. and it's realistic. Compl- like yes, it's not like realistic. Yeah. That's perfect. Word. It's not that you're worried about like, <clears throat> I don't know, yeah. a satellite dropping out of the sky and landing on your head. Like that's yeah. a thing that can happen, but what are the chances? Right. This is something that is a very realistic right. probability that could happen somewhere close to you or to people that you know or love. Right. That's horrifying. And um, that is yeah. anxiety is the perfect appropriate response to that. Right. But exactly. then the question becomes how do you cope with that anxiety? Mm-hmm. How do you use it product- as productively as yes. possible? Right. Yes. So let's talk about like some ways to deal with the aftermath of shootings. Um, I think the most important thing you could do is to take care of yourself. Okay, sorry, Joan. I'm going to flip the page. I'm going to make some noise. Hold on. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Go for it. I think the most important thing you could do is take care of yourself. And mm-hmm. we talk about this all the time. Self-care. And if that has to look like... I mean, if you need therapy, if you need a space to be, obviously we're, you know, we always talk about therapy. Um, But if you need a space to be able to talk about your anxieties or to be able to process it, do it. If you need to be able to practice more methods of self-care to be able to soothe your anxiety and take care of yourself, do it. Um, But I think, I think that has to come first. It's that idea of, you know, we're going to talk about like how to address this with your kids, but it's that idea of that you have to put that oxygen mask on yourself before you can help others. I think this is a perfect scenario to apply that to, that if you're in a sense of panic and if you can't cope appropriately and if you're modeling that for your kids, they're not going to listen to anything that you say and they're going to take the energy that you're feeding off of and how scared and anxious you are and then they're going to feel the same way. And then after you've taken care of yourself and you've like, you know, soothed your own anxiety enough to be able to cope with it appropriately then it's important to talk to your kids about it. And I think that's always the biggest question people have is how do I talk to my kids about this and in like how much do I share with my kids, right? Like that's yeah. what I hear the most from people. Yeah. And I, I mean, I don't know what your thought is, but my response is always be honest with your kids. Kids are smarter than you give them credit for, but do it in a way that's developmentally appropriate for however, yeah, you know, whatever their developmental age is. I mean, that's what I was going to say, um, kind of piggybacking off of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you ha- you know your kid, right. and you know how to word it or phrase it or yeah. explain it so that they can understand. Right. And 
what I say to my children might not work for you and your child might not work for your family. Right. You kind of have to assess what works best for you. Um, Personally, well, because I know my kids are older than yours, so we've had these conversations. I was going to say, it's not something I've even had to address yet with a kid who's not even three. Right. And I have, like, really crazy boys Mm -hmm. who are just running around and, you know, in public places, they just Mm -hmm. get caught up with their wrestling and they, you know, move away from us. Mm -hmm. um, So we've had talks about danger mm-hmm. and dangerous situations and bad people and the things bad people do and um and I I don't know whether this was right or wrong but the um, the garlic festival mm-hmm. shooting yeah I I had my my older one watch the news with me while that was playing and it was like no this is a reality this is real this is what mommy sees on the news mm-hmm. and you know, you're older now and this is what you, you're going to start seeing on the news. And there was a boy his age that was, that was, um, shot a six year old and they showed his kindergarten graduation because he had just graduated kindergarten, just like my son who had just graduated. And, and, um, you know, I think building empathy and Mm -hmm. I I don't know if it's like traumatizing him. He hasn't said anything, but, um, but he understands that right. there's people that do bad things and I need to be careful and this is how I act in public and he knows what to do if somebody was to grab him. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, this right. is a reality of our time. Um, so, yeah, I've yeah. been very open and honest with those conversations. Right. Well, I mean, my thought about it is, especially for school-aged kids, you can't shelter them from everything. And when they right. go to school, other kids are going to be talking about it. And, right. you know, if you watch, I watch the news every morning and my daughter is not really paying attention, but I know she's absorbing some of it. Right. And so I know at some point there's going to be questions. And, you know, now that she's in school, there's going to be other kids talking about things. And like like I said, like they do active shooter drills at school. Like it's not the kind of thing you can shelter your kids from. Right. So like you said, like, Starting basic, starting about the things that are important for your kid's developmental age is really important, but also addressing, like you said, your kids haven't really talked about it, brought it up, had feelings about it. But if your kids do, if they express anxiety, anger, fear, worry, talk to them about their feelings. Yeah, well, just to backtrack a little bit, Mm -hmm. because you had earlier said Mm self-care, take care of yourself and what you need. And with my anxiety and it like I've mentioned this before my son was born weeks or days before the um, Sandy Hook shooting took place so my anxiety was heightened from day one Mm -hmm. like I've this kid has been prepared from day one yeah um so you know he was born into my anxiety Mm -hmm. kind of um and the way I had to decrease my anxiety was to have him prepared yeah. and have him in a place where um, if things happen, if we are in a place like that, to not panic, to not freak out, to know to come to me or right. um, like a, a safe adult, a safe, or, yeah. like a mom mm-hmm. or, you know, like find a mommy that you see with kids your age. Right. Um because sometimes perpetrators can dress as firefighters or, you know, like in my head, I'm like, okay, well, you know, I don't want to tell him to go directly to a police officer because I don't know. Right. Well, but I know what a mom looks like. A mom looks like a frazzled lady with a bunch of kids following her. So yeah, go to her, you know? Right. Um, 
anyway, so that, you know, I having those conversations has been something that is me taking care of myself. Yeah. Because I know that he's somewhat prepared. Right. Which kind of sucks that I'm seeing that. Well, like, I don't I want this, him to be prepared, but, but he... You but know. I think that's the point of this whole conversation is this all sucks. Like, what yeah. the hell that this is something that we have to deal with, that we have to address, that our kids have to have fucking active shooter drills? Right. Like, what? Yeah. It, it's awful. Yeah. Um, but I think having a plan for how to approach it is really important. Yeah. Um, another thing that I would add is for a lot of people, I think it's also important to find a way to take some kind of action. Mm-hmm. Right. Like whether it's like getting involved politically, if that's something you feel passionate about, whether it's um, being involved at your kid's school when they have these drills or, or whatever it is, like being proactive and talking to the teachers, finding some way to take an action that feels meaningful for you, because especially because Serene, you had mentioned the sense of hopelessness and I'm sorry, the sense of helplessness that comes with these kinds of actions. Mm-hmm. And I think the biggest thing that you can do for yourself is to feel less helpless And so for a lot of people, that means being more proactive in whatever way that looks like for them and doing something that feels meaningful and productive for them. Right. And using their anxiety in a way that like is constructive rather than destructive. Right. And there was, you know, uh, I know I I shared with you that there was like a hate act at Mm -hmm. my, one of my kids' school on a different campus. And um, I know you've shared, you've you've been around schools that have experienced that too. And, Mm -hmm. you know... It, it wasn't violence, but right. it was a, a, a hate act, I guess. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, things like that happen and you you have to kind of be prepared for that and to manage your anxiety. And the first thing I thought of in the morning was, I'm not going to send him to school. I Or, you know, later on after I dropped him off and came home, I was like, maybe I should go back and pick him up and bring right. him back home. Did I do the wrong thing? But no, I, I, I just didn't and Mm -hmm. I was anxious the whole day and I I was prepared I stayed home I was by my phone um I tried not to let anxiety get the best of me right um but how do you like you just can't prepare yeah you can't prepare yeah you can't so um just to kind of sum up what you can do with your child uh, Dr. Robbie Adler Tapia, he's a licensed psychologist in Arizona. He came up with this idea of the four S's, mm-hmm. um, which is the first provide your child with solace, mm-hmm. um, comfort them, console them, uh, let them, let the child lead the discussion. Right. I think that's so important right. to like, cause you don't want to be bringing up additional stressors or anxieties exactly. that maybe your kid hasn't even absorbed or dealt with yet. Mm-hmm. So really I would suggest Meet them where they're at. Check in. See what level of knowledge they have before you provide more info. And clarify their misconceptions. Exactly. That's important. And also don't dismiss how the child feels. Absolutely. And a lot of people don't even know what that means. Mm. Like when a child feels something and you say... When the child feels sad and you say, oh, don't be sad. Oh, don't, don't be sad. You don't have to be sad. You don't have to be sad. No. That, happens. that is dismissing their mm-hmm. feeling. And I know a lot of us come from a good place when we're right. like, no, 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 don't be sad. I don't want you to be sad. I want you to be happy. There's no reason. I'm so glad you brought that, that up. That is dismissing their feelings. Yes. Validating their feelings or, you know, sitting with their feelings is what we need to do. And, you know, yes, you know, that is sad. We That is a sad thing. Mm-hmm. That is a bad thing. You're right. Right. And how can we keep ourselves safe how can we help people that may be experiencing this or um 
you know, validating their feelings and yes. coming up with actions. I think as humans and especially as parents, people have a really hard time sitting with that negative emotion. And when somebody expresses that they feel sad or hurt or whatever it is, there's this automatic pull to want to fix mm-hmm. and to make it better. And yeah, I mean, that's the end goal is you don't want the person to continue to live in a place of feeling sad and hurt or anxious or whatever it is. But being able to sit with somebody in their negative emotion is the most powerful thing that you can do. Right. And so as a parent, if you can tolerate, and, and most of the time it comes from our own ability to tolerate that negative feeling, that people have a hard time tolerating that negative feeling. Mm-hmm. So they have this pull to want to change it. So if, if you work on being able to tolerate sitting with that negative feeling, allowing your kid to be sad or angry or anxious with you is the most powerful thing that you can do right and these are normal emotions that we go through daily as adults right and if you're not allowing your child to experience these emotions and you're not validating these emotions as an adult they're just going to be unable to process and deal and cope with them or they're going to feel some shame attached to it right so i always tell my parents that i see let your child experience the feelings. Yes. It's okay. Yes. Um, so this, okay, moving mm-hmm. on to the second S, yes. security, which kind of ties in to the first one. Um, help your child feel safe. Reassure them that they're safe. Maintain regular routines. Don't change up your routine because, you know, because of these things. Right. Because once you do, they're going to think they're in greater danger than they actually might be. Right. Like I know so many people who say like now they don't feel comfortable going to large venue events or they right. they don't want to go to amusement parks anymore. They don't want to go to whatever it is. Um, but like you said, that conveys a message to your child that the world is not a safe place. Right. And granted, there are unsafe people and unsafe events in the world. But as soon as you convey the message, the greater message that the world is an unsafe place, that is... Right. A place of anxiety. And that's how you instill more anxiety in your kids. Yeah. Like, for example, the the shooting in the movie theater at the, mm-hmm. the Dark Knight. Um, a lot of people now tell me they're anxious to go into movie theaters. Yeah. And I tell them, okay, fine. Well, don't go. You can, you know, maybe not go opening weekend when it's right. the most crowded. Maybe you can go, like, early showing. Mm-hmm. Um, like, a 9 a.m. showing or right. whatever. Like, figure out a way that your anxiety is going to be eased about right. to go to a movie theater. Um and there's ways, you know, mm-hmm. it's just problem solving, I guess. Absolutely. Um, the third S is support. Let them rest. Give them a period to kind of sit with it. Don't lie to them, as Jen said. Be yes. honest. They're going to find out information right. anyway. Guys, kids are smart. <laughs> right. And yeah. the fourth S is service. Uh, mm-hmm. Just provide their basic needs. Mm-hmm. Um, watch what they're watching. Um if you feel like your older children might start becoming desensitized to Mm -hmm. these shootings or to um scary stuff on the news because sometimes we can be we hear it so much that we're like oh another shooting okay cool or like oh another you know stop that right you know catch them before they become desensitized to such violent acts and crimes yeah absolutely that's that's how that's Dr. Robbie's four essence. <laughs> That's how he suggests coping. I with, agree with it. Or helping your child cope with yeah. 
impact of a shooting or mass violence. Yeah. And like we said, it's shitty that this happens. It's awful that this is something that we have to deal with, but it's a part of reality and it's something that we thought was important to address and talk about. Okay. If you have any questions about this topic or suggestions for future topics, mm-hmm. email us at is it bedtime yet at gmail.com. Is it bedtime yet podcast? Is it bedtime yet podcast mm-hmm. at gmail.com or find us on social media. We're on Facebook at is it bedtime yet podcast. Or on Instagram is a bedtime yet podcast with underscores between each word. And if you'd like to support us, we're on Patreon as is it bedtime yet podcast. Um, for today, this is Dr. Serene, and I'm sitting here with Dr. Jen asking, is it bedtime yet? 